0: And my class will be starting in Hebrews chapter 12. Does anybody else think that maybe Greg's age probably also prevented him from running those two miles? All right, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12. If you remember, uh, if you were here Sunday, I'll I'll cover some of that whether you were or not, but chronologically what's happened is uh, there are Jewish Christians who have been struggling with this persecution that's always come from the Jews, but now because of what's happened in Rome... Uh, persecution is now coming from Rome as well. And so what ended up happening was some of these Jewish Christians have kind of backed off a little bit. They've gone back and tried to hang on to some parts of the old law because uh, that eases some of their persecutions. So uh, as we got into Hebrews chapter 10, the consequence of what was happening with their actions was, and, and by the way, the book is the arguments as to why they have so much better under this new law than they had ever had. Under the old law, much less now that it's not in effect. But then we get into chapter 10 and saw that one of the consequences of of their drawing back was that some of them weren't even gathering together for worship anymore. And so they are challenged to be faithful in their, in their worship to God, not only for themselves, but also because of uh, the others who need them for strength and encouragement and everything to keep going because everybody can get discouraged, right? So then into chapter 11 which is the chapter that everybody knows about in Hebrews. We call it sometimes the Hall of Faith because it has all of those names in it about people who did something by faith, you know, Abel and and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and all of these individuals that did things by faith. And so we kind of pull it aside and, and use that as our teaching. And there's no problem with that. That is what the text says. But if you keep it in its context, there's a reason he's... He's giving this list. And the reason he's giving this list is because these people who are, because of their fear and because of their struggles, they're pulling back. He's trying to encourage them to say, look at all these people who had struggles just like you did, who were all alone sometimes, who didn't have all the answers, but they kept going. And when they kept going, it was because of the evidence. What's faith? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen they had evidence that god fulfills his promises and so they kept going and he took care of them right and so the challenge to them is you know you need to keep going don't back up and and give up what you uh, what you have gained don't back up and lose uh, what has been accomplished because you lose then and so now as he gets into chapter 12, and I don't think, who knows, maybe I'll be faster tonight than usual, but I don't think we're going to get all the way through chapter 12 and 13 tonight. I'll get as far as I can and maybe summarize and encourage you to read more at home. But, but as we get into chapter 12, what we're really going to hit with is this, this idea, now that you have seen these people that are encouraging you, here's what you then do about it. Okay, so chapter 12, we start in verse 1. <clears throat> There, your first word's a connecting word. You see that, therefore? So the chapter breaks, probably not a great place here. I mean, it works because it allows you to see where you're supposed to be, but the context is continuing. All these people who are listed here, and now he says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, a couple things that really don't get understood because we forget a context has to do with the sin and with the, the witnesses. Uh, I, I can't tell you. How many times I've heard people talk about this verse and talk about these, wit- these angelic witnesses that are all surrounding us. How, where have we seen any of that in this context? No. The crowd that they're being as witnesses are the people who have walked by faith. The context is he's just gone through a whole list. A huge crowd of people all throughout times who have proven that God is faithful. That God is honest, that God does not lie, and he fulfills his promises. Now those are witnesses to God's uh, honesty, his integrity, isn't it? They're witnesses. That's what a witness does. Somebody that attests to something else. So we have all these witnesses all throughout time who have shown that God fulfills his promises. Since that's true, he says, then we need to lay aside the weight that easily besets us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. What weight Was uh, besetting them so easily. Well that's too generic. It was a lack of faith. Why weren't they worshipping? Well that was happening. But wasn't it because they were afraid of the persecution? Why were they drawing back to the old law? Because they were afraid of the persecution. And so that's a faithlessness. Why did the spies that went into the land. Come back and say we can't take the land. They were afraid. They were afraid. And God called it faithlessness. So the sin in this context is faithlessness. So instead of drawing backwards or being drugged down. In fact the idea here of this weight is like. Remember. I don't know whether you remember these from when you were a kid. But when I was a kid they had this toy. And it was like a lemon. That was on the end of a. a, I don't know a plastic a stick or something that had a loop on the end of it and you put it on your foot and you could swing it around and jump over it with the other foot work kind of like a hula hoop you remember those okay but that just doesn't come off your foot right you just drag. can you imagine if that thing was like a bowling ball wouldn't that be great well that's the idea here you've got this thing stuck on you and it's like a bowling ball and you're trying to run this race and you got this faithlessness there you're not going to run the race right You're certainly not going to finish, so he's saying get rid of that, lay it aside, and then run. Keep going, keep walking with God, and keep your faith where it ought to be, because when you do that, then God is able to fulfill his promises. See, that's the thing about God's promises. They are conditional on us meeting the demands that he makes. Abraham, I will give you this land. I promise. What if Abraham doesn't walk with him? What if he stays in earth? He's not going to get the land, is he? Noah, I will protect you from this flood. You never seen rain from the fall from the sky, but I'll protect you from it if you'll build this ark. Promise. What if he doesn't build the ark? He's going to drown like everybody else, right? Okay, so they got to keep. They've got to keep running. Oh, and by the way, looking unto Jesus, you know who could run a race looking backwards? I remember. Uh, sports uh growing up especially the sport of baseball was bad about this uh players sometimes you know if you get up there and you're batting and you hit the ball you like to see where it goes right and so they're running and they're watching and before long somebody throws them out because they weren't they were watching where the ball was going you can't run that way when you're watching this way right you can't run forward when you're watching backward so your focus has to be on the end of the race and the end of the race is the one who is the author and finisher What does that mean? That means he executed it and completed it. So you run with him and you focus on him and you're going to make it through the race, aren't you? Isn't that a promise? Okay. Verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself... Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. This is the hard part. Uh, this is the hard part. See, if I'm running this race and I'm focusing on Him, I'm trying to be successful in it, and all of a sudden I have, I don't know, I have a loved one who's struggling in life. That takes my attention, doesn't it? Or I have uh, maybe I get fired from a job. That takes my attention, doesn't it? Or I have a health emergency that takes my attention. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of these problems out here in the world take our attention from us. So we're running the race, and we look at all these things. And are there not times that you that you wake up, and there's so many things that are happening in your life, there's so much of a struggle that you just think to yourself, "I'm not sure I can even do today." You know, we we joke around about stuff like that, like Monday mornings. Yeah, Monday mornings are rough a lot of times. Are there times that you wake up on morning, Monday morning and think, "Well, oh, I'd like to stay in bed today," right? Or other days, and what you're doing is you're so overwhelmed that you just don't want to face what life has for you that day. You just don't want to do it. it's too much. So what he said is what happens is when we quit looking at the finisher of the race and we start looking at this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem, then we get distracted, and when we get distracted, we can't finish the race. These temporary things around us distract us. Keep reading. Actually, let me read that again uh, and then pull it forward into verse 4. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. So we consider him and keep looking at him because he made it through it, right? Right? And don't let these things distract us and realize, and by the way, when you're going through things, this is really difficult. I don't want you to get the idea that that the author here is saying this is easy. I'm certainly not saying it's easy, but uh, what he's saying here is, look at what Jesus went through and realize that no matter what they can do to me, it's not going to compare with that. In fact, the truth of the matter is, even if crucifixion was something that happened today and they did that to me, even then it wouldn't be what he went through. Any idea why? Because I deserve it for my own, and I'm not carrying everybody else's. He Both those things, he didn't deserve it on his own, and he was carrying everybody else's, wasn't it? So no matter what I face, in reality, I deserve some of it, right? So we look to him and recognize he made it through, and recognize that it's not all about us anyway. It's about him. We endure the race not because of our strengths, and because of our courage, and because of our... Uh, a lack of fear but rather because he made he made it he made the promises and he went through it for us okay keep going and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons my son do not despise the chastening of the lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there, whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now, stop there just a second. This is is a challenge because we read this, and the way that we read it, we often say that God is the cause of our persecution or our challenges. And the problem with that is, uh, James says that God does not tempt us. Okay, so that cannot be what it means. But it does say that some of our persecutions come about because of God, right? So it's not that he causes them, but they come about because of him, because he caused it chastening. So what could he mean? Well, here's what he means. Didn't Jesus say, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you? Didn't he say that? So if they, the disciples, or even us today, if we follow him, people are going to not like you, right? They're going to accuse you of bad things, and they're going to, they're going to say you're closed-minded, or you think you're better than everybody else, or you think you're the only ones, those kind of things, right? Okay, here's what they used to tell us in preaching school. If you ever get into a congregation where everybody there likes you, you better move. Because that means you're probably doing things just to make everybody happy. When you get in this world, if you're in this world... Think about the context. Those people are pulling back so they don't get the persecution. Was that benefiting them? It kept them from being some, they were happier, right? But they were lost, weren't they? Remember uh, some, maybe sometime in your life when you were training for something, whether it be a sport to play or maybe you were on a diet and you had a goal you wanted to reach or maybe you wanted to complete an education or something like that? Was any of it difficult? Yeah, it takes discipline, doesn't it? You have to set goals, and you have to you have to focus on, and go through what you have to go through because you get to the end of strength. Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier just to give up? In the short term, but then you don't reach the goal, do you? So he's challenging them to keep going and endure these persecutions because that actually shows that they're that they're following God. Keep reading. Make they make a choice. That's exactly right. Now he's going to make it. Parallel it with what we know about life. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now that's kind of weird. Uh, we do We do want to think about it from a parental spec- uh, perspective just for a moment i don 't think there's anybody anybody here who's uh whose life is blessed uh where you are today who looks back on a parent who taught them about God or uh you know and had curfews and had rules and all of that who looks back at this point and says, "Well, I wish they'd just let me do whatever I want to do." Nobody does that at this now, do you when you were there when you were a teenager. You didn't want all the curfews, right? You didn't want all the rules. You didn't want all those things. You didn't want to have to sit and listen to some guy preach every two, time, two times, every Sunday, right? Yeah, and you had to sit still. You didn't want to do all that stuff. But now you look back and you think, well, I'm sure, I'm thankful for that, right? Okay. So, but when you're going through those things, it feels like you're being limited. And the truth of the matter is, what he's doing, is, what our parents are doing, is trying to get us through difficulties and learn and grow and become something right okay but listen to how he says that at the end there what we just read he says for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness now wait if our parents are trying to get us through difficulties and teach us and make us better people isn't that for our good So then why does he say they do it for a short time the way it seems best to them, but he does it for our good, for holiness? Here's what it means. No matter what my parents taught me, it's limited to here, except for what's connected to God. What's connected to God goes beyond here. How many times do you suppose that I've talked about that That passage where Jesus said, what shall a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And I told you that word, the original word there that's translated soul does not mean that you're lost for eternity. It means what's worth giving your life for. Okay, well all those things did your parents give teach you how to make a living? Isn't that great? But how far does it go? As long as you're breathing, right? Did they teach you to be disciplined and, and learn things? Learn what you need to know? Yeah. How far does it go? As long as you're breathing. So the discipline that they made, that they put in our lives to make us into something is a great thing, but it's limited. But what has been given to us by God's discipline as well as through our parents is eternal. That's a difference, isn't it? Keep Keep going. Verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Well, nobody goes to, how many people say to their parents, you know, their parents say, okay, go to your room, you're, you're going to sit in your room and think about what you've done for 15 minutes. How many kids go to the room and say, oh boy, I uh, sure wish I hadn't done that. I, uh, I'm, I made a terrible mistake, I need to go back in there and apologize. How many kids do that? Or how many kids you think they're sitting there thinking, Boy, my dad's as mean as they come. Right? Yeah. But later on in life, you learned something, didn't you? They don't enjoy it while they're going through it, and we don't either. But here's why he's saying all this. Not because he's teaching them how to train their kids. The next verse, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame May not be dislocated, but rather be healed. There's why he's telling them all this about parents and discipline. Because way back in Hebrews 10 and 25, before he he threw in there all those witnesses about be, what it means to walk in faith, he said, you people are are not gathering together and worship and being faithful as you should. And as a consequence of that, you're hurting each other. <laughs> You have a responsibility to each other. So now he says this, the reason you're backing away is because of this difficulty. But you got to get through the discipline. And the way you get through it is strengthen the hands that are weak and uphold the feeble. Uh, when we started chapter 11 on Sunday, I asked you what faith looks like. Does it look like a uh, mountaintop jumping one mountaintop to the next mountaintop? Or does it have valleys in between? It has valleys, doesn't it? Okay, so there's going to be days that you're going to be strong, days that you're going to be uh, on a good path and in a good place, but maybe not tomorrow, right? Maybe not the day after, there's going to be days that you're going to be more in the valley, and when you're on top of the mountain, you have a responsibility to the ones who are in the valley, don't you? And therefore, when you're in the valley, there's others. Remember Galatians chapter 6 when Paul is writing about everyone bearing your own burdens, considering yourself, and then everybody bearing each other's burdens. And we talked about how the bearing your own was like carrying your own backpack. That's what that word meant. And then bearing each other's burdens, that word meant an overload. So everybody has a responsibility to, to carry what they can carry. But everybody sometimes has to deal with more than they can carry. So that's when you're in the valley. And that's when you need each other. Okay, well, if you're not here, how do we get that? That's a, I don't teach Hebrews 10.25 as a, as a thou shalt not, thou shalt passage. I don't, I don't teach it as God says, thou shalt not forsake the assembly. I, I teach it as this. If I forsake the assembly, I forsake you as well as God. So when I walk away from him, when you need me, I'm not there. You know, if you could, if we could think about it, if we could get to this place where we recognized how important it is, not only for our worship to God, but for our, our, our brethren who are in need, would it not make a difference? If your family needs you, are you there? Your kids call you? You remember when your kids went off on their own the first time and they call you in the middle of the night? Did you not go? I got a call. I got a call one time from Paris or somewhere like that from a daughter that was at a train station saying we don't know where to go well how am I going to get there and fix that (laughs) but if you could you would wouldn't you well that's what we have for each other here we show up for worship not only because of our praise for God but because we got to help each other lift up the feeble hands All right, keep going pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now, I'm going to pick that part up again just a second, but I'm going to look at this other part. Uh, I think probably, I'm not saying that You know, there are commands that are more important than others, but there are commands that are harder than others. And I think one of the ones, at least in my view, one of the ones that is the hardest is this idea about loving and praying for your enemies, right? Because somebody that really intends you harm or even maybe creates harm to you, it's kind of hard to love, isn't it? And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, look... You're pulling back because you want peace. I want you to pursue peace. But don't do it at the sacrifice of compromise. Don't become lost so that you get more peace. What you have to do is you have to be faithful because you cannot be surrounded by wickedness and evil. And look at the things that he listed there. He called them them a root of bitterness. you You know what a root of bitterness? The idea here is like an asparagus root. This is easy for me to talk about because I hate asparagus. I don't know if you like it or not, but asparagus is really interesting the way that it grows because you put it in the ground and it doesn't grow forever. It just kind of, well, it's growing, you just don't see it. And then maybe a year or so after it's planted, all of a sudden it comes up from the ground and it should have been growing all underground for a year. You don't see it. That's the idea of this root of bitterness, this idea that you're angry at these people that have made it hard for you and that affects you. Bitterness affects you. <laughs> You know, when you're holding this grudge and this anger towards somebody else, it affects you. It's not about them. It's about who you are. So don't be that person and don't be a fornicator or profane person. You know what that word is? Anybody got another word besides profane? Godless is actually the word that I would use here. Godless. And I I want to finish that. I want to read 16 and keep going this time, lest there be... Any fornicator or profane person like Esau who or godless person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. Now I want to think about that account for just a minute. Uh, you think Jacob and Esau knew the inheritance? They knew the the task of being the patriarch. Do you think they knew what it was, and do you think they knew what to expect from their father when he died? Yes. Why do you think that? Well, they were supposed to pass it down. But how do you know that? How do you know that, that it worked with them? How do you know that Isaac pa- did pass it on? Huh? Because he j- j- Jacob is after it, isn't he? Why would he be after it if he didn't know what it was worth, right? So Jacob's after it. So they know what's coming. They have been taught as they were supposed to be taught by the patriarch of the family that God has given a promise. And you're supposed to be leading this family to the, the patriarch leads this family to the, this relationship with God and the direction God wants us to go and God's going to use us to fulfill his promise. Esau, if he has paid attention and been taught by his father the way that he's supposed to, which that part has happened, he should know that God had a plan, shouldn't he? So why did he sell his birthright? He was in a valley. He was in a valley for just a minute and forgot that God could get him through the valley. So he sold his birthright. In fact, when you go into the Old Testament and you read the account, the text says that he thought it's worthless if he dies. So he sold it. And at the end of his life, when he went before his father with tears, did it change anything? So that one godless moment. See, here's the thing. I'm afraid that there are many people who, in fact, probably all of us from time to time, who who, who mess up. And we have this idea that we'll go to God and we'll say we're sorry and he'll forgive us. Which he will, by the way. But for some reason we think that forgiveness means he's just going to wipe away all of the consequences that came with the choices that we made. And he doesn't do that. You know, if you, for example, are involved in some kind of sin and that sin costs you an arm, can God forgive you of that sin? Sure. Okay, but he's going to put your arm back? You know, if you go into a bank, to rob a bank, and somebody shoots you, and you go and give the money back and, and you come up here and repent, sincerely repent, God will forgive you. Is he going to take away the bullet wound? No. Esau could sincerely repent, but that doesn't change the fact that there's no inheritance for him anymore. At least not the inheritance of the firstborn. There are consequences. The, the point he's making here is, you, if you go back, these people who are drawing back, there are consequences. Sure, you think you'd get back and and life gets easier, but there are consequences and it's not going to get easier. How many parents think they can just live however they want to and it won't affect their kids? And later on, I'll fix life, and then all of a sudden your kids. I get a call frequently from an individual. I can almost put it on a calendar from an individual who will call me and say, well, the kids are getting older. I've got to get back to God. And they never do. They never do. And the kids keep getting older. And sometimes it's too late. There are consequences. Keep reading. 18. Four. I'm going to read a pretty lengthy section here, I think. Uh, For you not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore? For they could not endure that... Uh, what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. What mountain was that? Sinai, right? So it's when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they went to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law and the mountain trembled, right? And there were fire and thunderings and all of that and they weren't even supposed to touch the mountain, right? Okay, keep going. But, so you didn't come to that mountain, but... You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And by the way, does anybody know what that word means? Angels? Messenger, okay. innumerable company of messengers to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Those people that went to that mountain had a reason to be afraid. They didn't go to that mountain though. They went to the, the this new Jerusalem, this new mountain, this new Zion. They're in a different law, aren't they? So go back to that place that was so fearful? Can you imagine? I mean, let's just think about it a second. And, and by the way, I don't want to be like cruel or nothing, but I don't know anybody today, though there are a lot of people who claim it, I don't know anybody today who is following the old law the way that it's written, okay? if You think about what was in that law, so they're going back to that mountain, this is what they're drawing back to, right? How about morning and evening sacrifices, and that doesn't mean putting a few coins in a collection, does it? sacrificing and we're talking about big camps and when they get into land big land right it's not like they could you know go to their neighbor's house and or do it at home right i mean they had sacrifices that had to be made and they had to give so much of all of their blessings and they couldn't work on the seventh day could they and then the seventh year they had to quit working on the land didn't they and if they didn't do what god told them to do for the first six years guess how the seventh year is going to go and then every 50th year, all the servants... I mean, do you realize how many requirements are in that law and how difficult that law was to follow? And you've got the scapegoat that you've got to send out in the wilderness, and you've got the Day of Atonement and everything that goes along with that, and the Passover and all the feast. and you had to travel. You had to travel. No matter where you lived, you had to be in Jerusalem, didn't you? These people, have, they didn't go to that mountain. They're not under that law. So why go back to what was harder? Why go back to to all that physical that did not get you to the place where you could overcome the fear when what you have now is all these people who made it? All these people, the church. You know, know, one of the things about each other is uh, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to go to a funeral of somebody who's important to you, right? especially somebody who's a faithful Christian that you've looked up to. you know. There are people in your life that you've looked up to spiritually, and when they pass away, that's tough, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is what it is is an example that you can make it. That's somebody that made it, right? And so that should be an encouragement. So we see all of that uh, in our our church family and the people around us and the examples of people who have gone on. We have all these people in the New Testament recorded for us so I can know I can make it because they did So I can keep going, and that's the challenge here. But there's more. 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Who speaks, by the way? How did this book start? God, who at sundry or different times past spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Okay, all right. See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promising, yet once more I shake not only earth but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and reverence, uh, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now let me just i got a whole lot to say about this, so I'm going to try to remember all of it. Uh, all right, their challenges, their challenge. If you look at that text, he's talking about their challenge about not being at the mountain but it being at the new Zion, right? And then he talks about this thing that shook, and then there was another, God had promised there was another shaking, and, and the, the second shaking would make it to where you were part of something that could never be shaken, and that sounds a lot of confusing, doesn't it? Except for when you go through God's record, you find that what he was talking about when he talked about shaking of mountains and things like that was not a literal thing, though it did happen sometimes literally, like at Sinai, what it signified was a changing of law. A changing of law. So uh, uh, Sinai shook to signify they are not under the rule of Egypt anymore. Right? They have this new law being given to them by God and he is making them a nation. But was that, how long was that law supposed to last? Was it ever supposed to be for eternity? It was supposed to last to bring the Messiah in who would bring in a new testament after his death. Right? Hebrews writers already talked about that. So he said there will be another shaking but when that shaking happens, those people will be a part of a place or a thing that will never be shaken. And we remember Jesus standing before his disciples and asking, Who do the people say that I am? And they say, You know, one of the prophets. And he says, What about you? And Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It will never be shaken. It'll never be defeated. It'll never change. Not that kingdom. Okay, if you're a part of that kingdom, why you go back to the other one that's being defeated? And, has, and by the way, by the time this book is written, I mean, obviously we know that the old law was fulfilled and taken out of the way. Not only did this passage say it, but Colossians 2.14 said it. And so we know at, the, at Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the new covenant or the new law came into place, right? So they don't live under that, and the old law has been replaced. But does that mean Judaism is gone from the earth? No, it's still there. That's why these people are persecuting them. But they're about two years from from Titus and the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem and destroying all of their records, all of their city, all of their temple, all of their opportunity to practice the old law. Gone. Okay, what he's saying to these people is, why would you go back to that thing that was so shaken when you're a part of something that won't ever be shaken? Their persecution feels like shaking, doesn't it? Their struggles feel like shaking. If you, if you leave it because you don't think you're going to make it, he's saying you're going to make it unless you go back. All right, now I've got like seven minutes to do 13. Uh, let me just tell you kind of what he does here in the beginning. Uh, since all these things are true, since they need, he's telling them to, to be faithful, stay where you are, don't go backwards, now he's going to say how to do that kind of in a, a preacher sense. And what I mean by that is he makes points. You know, I usually have an introduction, three points or four, and, and then a conclusion. Well, he kind of does that. He, he tells them to let brotherly love continue, and then he tells them how to treat strangers, how to treat the less fortunate, how to treat your spouse, how to treat your possessions, how to treat the elders and those who teach you. All those things come up in the first eight verses. Let me read it real quick. Do not forget to entertain, well, let brother love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Wait, let me ask something there. Did he say you might entertain angels? He said some have. That doesn't mean you might. That means you need to treat people right, even if you don't know who they are, because they might be your family. Think about when Abraham had those messengers come to him. What if he had rejected them, and they showed up to talk about Lot and Sodom, or the promise to have a child. So he's saying, treat. You ever run into into somebody that you were around them for a while before you knew they were actually a brother or sister in Christ? What if you had acted the wrong way? Keep going. Uh, Remember the prisoner as if chained with them and those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. See, we're talking about each other, right? In the body. Marriage is honorable among all, the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, and who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their faith. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever." Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods, which have not profited those who have, who have been occupied by them. So, see the list there. How do you treat each other? How do you treat those who are not as blessed as you are in a certain way? How do you treat those people who are facing difficulties? How do you treat your family? How do you treat the possessions that you have? All of these things are affected by your faith. You've heard me say before in sermons, many times I would suppose, maybe in classes many times, I love the illustration. I've used it so many times of the paper plate, you know, the, the potluck plate that has dividers in it so that if you have, you know, the small sections where you're going to put your vegetables but you don't want the green bean juice to get in with the good good stuff, right, like the barbecue, you don't want the green bean juice getting on the barbecue so you put it in the little compartment all by itself, right, and you put the barbecue on in the big part and then you put whatever else in that other little part, right? But you can't mix them up. If you mix them up, they're just not as good, right? Okay, and we do that with life. We have compartments, and we say, here's a job, and here's a family, and here's the education, and here's hobbies, and over here's God. But we've got to keep them in their compartments so they don't mix with each other. And the truth of the matter is, what he's just said is, your faith impacts everything. There are no dividers. It impacts who you are, at work, at home around those who are less fortunate a a way you look at and use and think about your possessions all of that all that's affected by who you are as a child of god all right let's keep going verse 10 oh wait verse 9 was saying don't again the old law that's where foods were important right clean unclean those kinds of things that's not a part of the new law was it We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those people that were serving under the old law, they're not going to get to God. They're not going to get to God. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Think about what he's just said. What is peer pressure? Pressure to fit in, right? you got peers around you who are a certain way, and you've got pressure on you to fit in with your peers, right? That doesn't have to be a bad thing. Sometimes peer pressure can be a good thing, if the peer pressure is to get people to do good instead of bad, right? So by itself, it's kind of neither good or bad. But the truth of the matter is, if the peer pressure around them is trying to get them to hang on to Judaism instead of Christianity, that's a bad thing, isn't it? And so, if they hang on to that, they're going to lose. But if they don't hang on to that law, and they realize that the reason they can't is because all those sacrifices didn't mean anything, right? And Jesus, though, fulfilled it. The sacrifices were physical. He fulfilled it, and he suffered outside the city. Just like the Bulls and goats were outside. He suffered outside. So where are we going to be? Are we going to be in with the crowd? Or are we going to be outside? Hmm. Christians are never going to be in the majority. We'd like to think that. We'd like to think that. You, I, I'm an optimist. I'd like to believe that we could change this, this whole county. If we if we worked hard enough and we reached out to enough people, I'd like to believe we can convert a lot of people in this county. But I also know we're never going to be in the majority. Never going to be on the inside. As long as you're walking with God, you're going to be on the outside because that's where he is, right? Okay, let me look real fast. Let's keep reading. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for you. So pay attention to what's happening around you, and also recognize the people who are trying to help you. We don't like that to happen. If we're struggling, we don't like anybody to come up to us and say, Hey, look, uh, you're struggling. I want to help you. You need to get this straightened out in your life. You need to to be faithful to God. We don't like people to do that, do we? Why do they do it? Is it because they're better than us? It's because they care. Not only do they care, but they're going to answer to God for them. That's a pretty big weight, isn't it? Okay, I'm out of time. I hope that you'll read the conclusion to the book. Uh, on Wednesday night, I think you 'll see a little couple of this I told you in the beginning of this study way back whenever we started Hebrews that I think this book is probably sermons that were preached by Paul that Luke kind of organized and recorded in the writing and you 'll see as you read that last part of you will at home they both had a connection to Timothy, uh, and there was a connection to paul 's chains here, and so that 's part of why I draw that conclusion don 't want to be dogmatic with it. I just wanted you to know some of the reasons okay. Yes. Yes. Two things. Don't forget the Palm Beach Lakes Ladies Day next Thursday. There's a list in the back. Sign up in it. Tonight's the night. And don't forget to talk to Debbie after services about drinks and food for the funeral. Okay, let's close with a prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here. And we're so thankful for the strength that we gain by being together and studying your word and worshiping you. And we pray that we will use that to continue our walk with you throughout the rest of this week. Help us, Father, to encourage each other, strengthen each other, and depend on each other. Help us never to depend on ourselves. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.